So yes, grace. It's a word we use a lot in the church, isn't it? Um, and for good reason. But if we use it so much, I wonder sometimes if we don't run the risk of minimizing its implications. Grace, as it's used in the scriptures, it consistently suggests that God is good and loving and kind and generous. But it also suggests that God favors. God favors people, human beings. And we all have favorite things in life, right? I have a lot of favorite things. I have my favorite foods and cities and scriptures and locations and ideas and ways of seeing the world. I have my favorite teams and books and movies. And these days, for better or worse, perhaps we have our favorite parties. And these things become our favorites because, well, we can relate to them in some way. For example, there are foods that I can eat that to this day remind me of my childhood, especially cornbread and beans and greens on the side with a little bit of vinegar poured on top of them. Now, it may sound odd for a preacher to say it, but we also have our favorite people, right? We do. We're not so, I know we're supposed to like everyone equally, but we have our favorite folks in life. And we must admit that we like some more than others at times. And this is true because we have positive or loving or good experiences with folks, and, or we have the opposite at times. And I would argue that even Jesus had some favorites in his life. He had these 12 men he called to be his disciples. The scriptures suggest that God favors those who do justice, who are kind, who are humble, who care for one another. God favors those who live in such a way. That does not mean that Jesus valued these 12 more than anybody else, and they often got in trouble for thinking that he did. And it does not mean that God values one over another. So today I want to consider that we may indeed favor some things, even some people in life, but we make a mistake when we value one over another. This gospel in Matthew, Jesus tells a parable of a kingdom and it gives us insight to what God values. And we discover that there's nothing that makes one person more valuable than another. Nothing. And we learn that this can be hard for us to remember, which really is the point of his story here, that we struggle with this. Now, I grew up learning that talking about money and good company was not always polite. Well, Jesus didn't grow up that way. Jesus often talked about economy and money and trying to teach us things. He did it often in order to teach us what the kingdom is like. Maybe he knew that we valued money and we could understand the metaphor of what value really means. Once Jesus told a parable about a shrewd manager who of all things swindled their employer and he celebrated the story. In another place he talks about paying taxes to Caesar, and he spends a lot of time with shady tax collectors because he saw something in them. He once told someone that they would need to give away everything they had if they were going to follow him. And in one instance, someone poured out perfumed oil all over his feet that was equal to a year's wages in value. It upset those around because that could have been used for the poor. And Jesus said, no, this is an act of faith. Stories like these, and today's is one of those, 
Well, they might leave us scratching our head and wonder, what, did Jesus really have a good idea of what stewardship is? is? Did he know good business practices? These stories don't make sense. He makes it clear that the economy of God is not like the economy of God's kingdom and kingdom. Or perhaps better stated, the difference between what God values and what the world values. This parable is about a landowner who goes to the marketplace early in the morning to hire people, and things are normal. Workers are asked to work in the fields for a day's wage, but then he keeps coming back every so often and, and getting more workers. And the second person, he, he doesn't really agree on a day's wage. He says, I'm going to pay you what's right. And then he keeps coming back, hiring more and more as the day continues. And not so strange, there was a lot of work to be done, and maximum profit may have justified this. So far, a sound business model. But by the end of the day, when they come to get their wages, things get strange. Recall, he's told the first two a day's wage, the second group, whatever's right, but he doesn't mention wages from then on out. He says, just go to the fields. And we might assume, as we saw in the children's moment, that everyone assumed a, an hourly wage. Smaller amounts at the end of the day based on how many hours you worked. But as people lined up, he tells them that the one who have been there all day, you have to go to the back of the line. And those who just got there came to the front and they got their pay immediately. And by the time those in the back of the line came forward, they realized that they were getting paid more than anyone else, even though they had worked harder and longer than anyone. Well, this can't be right. I know what I'd be thinking. Imagine those who had worked all day in that hot sun. It does not take much of imagination to assume what they're thinking, and maybe we grumble with them when we hear this parable. There's a part of me that does. This isn't fair. And what makes it even worse, the landowner, the best defense he can come up with is, well, I can do what I want with mine. <laughs> you got exactly what I said you were going to do. Now, you got what you agreed upon. So, what is Jesus setting us up for here? Now, we know this parable, this is a parable, but we know that getting shortchanged like this, well, it touches a nerve, it, it touches an emotion for all of us, perhaps, that maybe we can relate with. On first read, it goes against the sense of justice that we might think Jesus would have here and that we would demand in the workplace. Is this who God really is, and how is this possible? Now, this parable, for me, it's a, it's a bit of a hard pill to swallow. Or as Barbara Brown Taylor articulates, this is like drinking or taking cod liver oil as a medicine. I did that once. It was not good. It's like taking bad tasting medicine. And we might know that it's supposed to be good for us. We might know that it is good for us. But it still tastes bad. Yet we don't have to wonder what the sickness is that Jesus wants us to pay attention to. He names it. It's envy. It's, it's jealousy. We seem to be born with a sense of fairness. As we've already seen, you take any group of kids and you give all of them M&Ms, but one gets a smaller amount, you're going to hear about it, right? But let's not pick on children. Now, when we grow up, we, we worry less about how many pieces of candy we get, but you put us in a scenario, a scenario for which Jesus points out, and, well, someone's going to hear about it. 
But the rub today is that Jesus tells us that when we grumble, when we are jealous in this way, well, that we need not be. It is a hard pill to swallow, this parable. There's a play in which also became a movie called Amadeus. It tells a story about two very different men who are both celebrated conductors, Saleri, of Saleri and Mozart. Saleri is a virtuous and hardworking man. He's dedicated his life to music, and at starting as a child, he began to write music. And at one point, he sneaks into the church, and he's praying to God, and he makes a deal with God. Hey, if you'll make me successful, and, and if you'll make me a, a wonderful composer, I will make beautiful music for you. He becomes successful. It becomes very celebrated. Everything works out just like had been planned for and just like had been bargained for. But then another conductor shows up on the scene, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And he's not like Saleri. Saleri. He's a prodigy. He, he writes his symphony, his first symphony at the age of five. And unlike his peer, he seems to produce music without really working too hard to do it. And once more, he's vulgar, he's conceited, and he's very irreverent. He's not very likable. And his music just seems to pour out of him as if God had made him a, a conduit for divine music. And he becomes at, if not more famous, than his peer. Of course, Saleri grows jealous and resentful. And he feels as if God has valued Mozart above him. Even his name, Amadeus, means beloved child of God. In other words, he is at the back of the line and he's grumbling that others are getting more for less and he's being given less in spite of doing more. And this landowner has the gall to say, you're just being jealous. You got exactly what we agreed upon. I can do what I want with what I have to give. So what, Jesus, are we to make of this kingdom if things are not equal? What, Jesus, are we to do when we see others gaining access to your grace who have come late, who've done less, and who really don't appreciate the fullness like I do of your grace? It's hard to stomach the fact that God does not value us more because we've done more or loved more or been better followers. How, Jesus... Can you not love us more than others, we want to ask deep down, perhaps, at times? Here, it seems, is where we find the difference between being favored and valued. Skip Johnson writes that this parable says that the only way we come to know the goodness of God, the only way we can see the goodness of God, is as it is given to others. We can see the goodness of God more clearly in the lives of others, quite simply because they are other than us. The back of the line offers a better perspective for us. In other words, when our only grasp of God's grace is the goodness that we have been given or not given, we have a limited grasp. A fuller grasp of God's goodness and grace only comes when we see it and celebrate it in the lives of someone else who realized they did not deserve what they got and to celebrate with them. Jesus invites us to see the world through the lens of the workers of the vineyard.
He wants us to see that God is not interested in being sure that all things are equal. God desires equity. God desires that we have what we need. No more and no less. All these folks needed a day's wage, and that's what was important. All of us need God's grace, and that is what's important. And when we change our way of thinking and seeing grace in this way, it's easier to be satisfied that I have the grace that I need. I need not worry that others might not understand it. I receive in a way that I perceive. Jesus wants us to feel, to know what it's like to be at the back of the line today. He once told his disciples that the only way to see him was by serving others, by sacrifice, by putting others before yourself. And this is what grace looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like. So if you've ever been a bit jealous because you're asked to stand at the back of the line, you're not alone. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, self-included. This way of seeing things, it seems, is difficult, but it's learned, and it's learnable. Yet we do know that we'll have a much better the kingdom if we get this lesson. We understand what God is like, and we understand what a life and a full life is like in this life and the life to come. So are there people and circumstances these days where you and I might feel that we're, well, asked to stand in the back of the line? If so, know that we have much more work to do. This parable may be a bitter pill at times, but it is meant to bring healing. There's an old story. Maybe it's uh, overused if you've heard it before, but I, I think it is, bears repeating. It's, it's a story of a man who died and went to heaven, that, that old kind of story of meeting St. Peter at the pearly gates. And man shows up, and Peter says, well, we have a point system, and only those with enough points are allowed to enter. Points, the man thought. I never heard that in Sunday school. I wonder what this is all about. So he, he bore on and listened, and Peter continued. He said, well, it's simple. We determine how many points you have by the life you've led. We require 100 points. Tell me about your life, and I'll add up your points. Well, the man was a bit relieved. Hmm, I've lived a good life, a pretty good life, actually, and surely I've done 100 good things in this life. So ideas, in fact, come quickly to him, and he begins to share. As well, let's see, I was faithful to the church for over 47 years. I served as a deacon and an elder. I taught in Sunday school. St. Peter said, very good. That's one point. Oh, man, pause. Okay, well, let's see. I was a good husband and good father. I gave tithes to the church. I was, I was generous in a lot of things. I, I helped with various projects. I, I served on several committees. Surely that counts for a few points. Well, indeed, says St. Peter. That's two points. <laughs> well, he, his face sank. And he said, oh, well, I can see now. I'm never going to make it. The only way I'm ever going to get into this place is by God's grace. And St. Peter looks up and smiles. And that, my friend, is worth 98 points. Welcome. Enter into this place. Folks, in this life, some will run the race better than we do. Some of us will require more grace than others. But not a one of us will earn enough points to receive the abundant God, grace that God has already given us. Grace is more than just about getting to heaven. Grace is meant for us to change how we see and relate 
with one another, every person. How many of our struggles in the world are born from the fear that we might have to give up too much? That we might lose our fair share? Regardless of how much you have done good or bad, you are a beloved child of God. But so is the stranger. So is the enemy real or perceived. So is the winner and the sinner, the saint and the scoundrel. God does not desire to bring some to grace. God desires to show us all grace. And we are at our best when we have this mindset, when we're able to see every person, including ourselves, valuable beyond measure. Now what God favors is a humble heart, a willingness to forgive, a desire to sacrifice and serve, but the value God has, well, that's already maxed out. God cannot value any more than God does today. That grace is abundant. And you have received that before you've even known it. Our part, let that grace pour through us and how we treat and see and let's celebrate the grace that works in this world. The first will be last and the last will be first. Thanks be to God. Amen.